College Football Today. Oh, we are rolling into week number two, kicking it up a notch with another top 25 battle. Number five, Oklahoma versus number two, Ohio State. Rockin' Rich Sermonello, this is one of four top 25 matchups that have playoff implications later today. You know what excites me, Joe, is the fact that in week one, we got a taste of who the talented teams are, but a lot of those ranked teams didn't play very well, right? Washington struggled, Ohio State had some problems against Indiana, USC, you know, it took a while to get rid of Western Michigan. Now we start to get a better idea week two, who's going to make the leap and really become a playoff contender? Because those four games that you're talking about, the winners of those games automatically elevate into that playoff contention discussion. Yeah, sit back, relax. Rich and I have you covered for the next three hours, 9 to 12 Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific. We'll give you our takes about the top 25 battles, picks, analysis, and so much more. At 1024, we'll be joined by former Oklahoma linebacker Teddy Lehman. We'll get Teddy's take about what Baker Mayfield and Lincoln Riley have to do to get the upset on the road in Columbus a little bit later tonight. At 1040 Eastern, 740 Pacific will be joined by Game Time Decisions host Gabe Morenci. We'll get Gabe's take about the big games at 12 and 3.30 later today. And then he'll join us at 11.40, 8.40 on the West Coast. We'll get his take about the later games, his best bets later today. But Rich, I mean, when you talk about consistency from week number one to week number two, that's where you'll see the biggest progression in, in terms of top 25 teams. We saw teams struggle in their week one match. Matchups like uh, Ohio State against Indiana, but a team last night that did not show any signs of sluggishness was number 11 Oklahoma State and Mason Rudolph. Yeah, they took care of business, which we expected against South Alabama. And I like when teams that are favored, teams that are ranked, teams that are thinking conference championships, they go for the jugular. And that offense looks unstoppable. The defense played well. Yes, it was a Sunbelt Jaguar team from USA. But still, from Oklahoma State, you want to see them begin to build some momentum, play well on defense, make stops, create turnovers. Mason Rudolph is a given, but I thought they took care of business on a night where you know a storm is coming up people in Alabama are a little bit concerned you could see where Oklahoma State might not be that focused but they played well last night nonetheless I mean Mason Rudolph another 300 yard performance James Washington broke out two receptions 98 yards and a big touchdown catch there defensively they held South Alabama to 175 total yards in that battle now two games now back to back against Tulsa and South Alabama that defense has looked a lot better than it did last year in terms of especially in run support and if they could play that way through Big 12 play this could be a team that could possibly be a playoff contender and I say forget the opponents obviously they're going to yeah. play better offenses but this team needs confidence and that's what they've gotten in the first two weekends we're just getting started keep it where it is when we come back we'll be breaking down all the top 25 battles this is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network from Studio 34 
2016, Scott Engel predicted an impressive second season from Melvin Gordon. Jake Seeley recommended Jordan Howard. Bobby McMahon forecasted a JGI breakthrough. George Kurtz saw a big year coming from Matt Ryan. And Joe Galena picked Rashard Matthews as one of his top sleepers. These predictions turn fantasy owners into champions, and the same crew returns this year. With more savvy calls in the exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package at rotoexperts.com. Don't miss the calls that create winners. Register now and enter free radio at checkout for a special discount. on College Football Today, live from Studio 34, Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello. We're going to be with you for the next three hours. If you want to talk college football with us, give us a call, 844-843-6879. That's 844-843-6879. You could follow me on Twitter at GoForTheTwo. That's the number two. You could follow Rich on Twitter at Rich Sermonello. That's C-I-R-M-I-N-I-E-L-L-O. Rich, big back battle taking place in Death Valley, number 13 Auburn, number 3 Clemson, marquee battle that Clemson's won the last three straight by nine points per game. Contrasting styles here, Jared Stidham, Kelly Bryant, this is going to be a great battle later today. I think of all the games that we're looking at today, a great slate of games, you've got the four big ones. This one is most compelling for me because I I think a lot of us are unsure exactly what to expect from Clemson or Auburn this season because of the new quarterbacks. That's the issue. What do you get from uh, from Kelly Bryant at Clemson? Look great in Week One against a weaker opponent in Kent State. Jarrett did him a little bit rusty in his opener against Georgia Southern, but this is still a defensive battle. Nineteen thirteen last year, I think the defenses dominated again. But my question is, which of the two quarterbacks steps up, stretches the defense, makes plays with their legs? I think this is a fascinating matchup. But again, like I said in the first block, whoever wins this game instantly gets gets into that playoff picture. I agree with you 100%. I think when you look at this battle, uh, especially last week, both teams, both offenses, high octane. Uh, Clemson, 665 total yards of offense. They held Kent State to 120 total yards defensively, 119 on the ground. Only one passing yard to Kent State in that battle last week. You look at Auburn, 535 total yards of offense. Jared Stidham, 185 yards through the air but they pounded the rock for over 300 yards on the ground, and they held Georgia Southern to 0 of 15 on third down conversions. For me, I think Kelly Bryant has the better supporting cast. I think when this you break down this game overall, it's going to come down to the speed of Clemson's wide receivers, Deion Kane, Hunter Renfro, Ray Ray McLeod, and that secondary of Auburn that I still don't have, cons- I have concerns with. I mean, they allowed 265 total passing yards per game in the last six games in 2000. And you talked about the running game of Auburn. How about no Cam Petway last week, yeah. right? He was unavailable for Auburn. He is now back. Carryon Johnson, you know, he, he's, he's questionable for this yeah. game. He is banged up. But now you have the big back in Cam Petway to go along with Jared Stidham. Listen, I, I was outspoken throughout the offseason. <laughs> I, I think Jared Stidham's going to have a very good first season at Auburn. I like the mix with a new offensive coordinator, Chip Lindsey, with Gus Malzahn. This is finally the quarterback that Auburn needs, but... Week two against that Clemson defensive line at night in Death Valley, I don't think he's the story. I think the story is Kelly Bryant, and I'll say something that'll surprise people. 
Kelly Bryan is not a better quarterback than Deshaun Watson. I think he's a better runner than, than Deshaun Watson, and that's something that'll be accentuated tonight. And he had 77 rushing yards on the ground last week. I mean, he completed 16 of 22 passes, 236 yards, one touchdown, one interception. I will say this about Clemson, and people have said, well, Clemson will take a step back because they lose Deshaun Watson. We've seen a team in Alabama in previous years lose starting quarterbacks, three straight starters, and all they did was reload and make it back to the college football playoff. If there's one team that's recruiting eerily similar to Alabama. To me, it's it's Dabo Sweeney and Brett Venables. That's a great point. I, I mean, I, I could see the similarities. It's an excellent point. And I'll further that by saying it's not as if they're going to a redshirt freshman quarterback. This is somebody who has been in the system, knows the dual offensive coordinators, learned under Deshaun Watson. He's not just a good athlete. He's a really smart football player. So you're getting a veteran in Kelly Bryant under center. You've got an excellent offensive line led by Mitch Hyatt. You talk about the skill position players. Tavian Feaster in the backfield, I think, is underrated. C.J. Fuller, same thing. But don't dismiss that Auburn defense. I think you and I both thought there could be some struggles last week, Joe, against Georgia Southern because of their unorthodox running style offense. But, man, they get to the ball very quickly. So that Auburn defense is good. I don't think this is a high-scoring game. I would be very surprised if either team gets into the 30s. Yeah, that's a great point. I'll break down this game in this way in terms of Auburn overall. I mean, they held Georgia Southern, obviously, to 4 of 9 in terms of passing only 8 yards, a triple option attack. But they did not get a lot of reps in terms of pass coverage going up against a triple option Mm -hmm. offense week number one. Now they go on the road to Death Valley. They're going to be spread 5 wide by those wide receivers and they're going to stretch them vertically can they play man-to-man coverage on the road is going to be a key factor whether Auburn can win this ballgame the other factor is Jared Stidham to me I mean Jared Stidham 185 yards I mean again Auburn's only had now 20 uh, one game in 27 uh, the last 27 games where they pass for over 300 yards if Clemson jumps up early on Auburn's offense and forces them to match them score for score Can Jared Stidham do that in a rough environment on the road? Does he have to, though? Because remember how good Cam Petway was last year before he got hurt, before he came up lame, right? I mean, he couldn't finish a run when he was injured. This was a dominant back. I mean, this was Deontay Foreman of Texas. That's how well he was running. So I'll be curious to see... What Cam Petway do we get? He hasn't played since the bowl game, missed the opener, could be a little bit rusty. But if you get that physical presence of a 240-pound back along with the dual-threat capabilities of Jarrett Stidham, they could go stride for stride with Clemson. I don't think it happens. I like Clemson in this game. But it certainly should be an outstanding matchup between the two Tigers. I love Clemson in this game. I think Clemson wins this game. You think it's a blowout? Yeah, How much I think do you it's love 13 Clemson? points or more. Okay. I think Clemson dominates this game. A couple of factors. You mentioned Petway. He's more of a bruiser between the tackles. He's not an elusive guy that's going to break contain on the edge with speed like Dalvin Cook last year in Tallahassee. That's where Clemson's defensive front yeah. seven struggle with speed backs. You know where Petway's going. He's going right between the A and B gaps right up the middle. And when you 
you look at Dexter Lawrence, Pharrell, and Wilkins on that defensive front seven that can run sideline to sideline, to me, that's the matchup that I think you'll see play out in this ballgame. And here's the other factor for Clemson that nobody seems to give credit to, is that Brett Venables, in terms of third down defense, they held Kent State to four of 16 third down conversions. It was 25%. But the defensive losses that Clemson has had over the last three years, do you know what their third down defense has been over the past three seasons? 27% Mm. the last three years with all of that defensive talent moving on to the NFL. When you can force three and outs for your offense, you're giving them a short field and the opportunity to score points. Yeah, or third and longs, which is the one thing that Auburn can't afford to get into tonight. I agree with you. Clemson at home, I I can't bet against. Tough tough matchup there. I think it'll be competitive because of the Auburn defense. I think the Auburn defense will surprise people. Not a lot of household names, but Trey Williams on the second level, Marlon Davidson, a budding star at defensive end. I, I think Auburn's defense will surprise, but I could see this in the neighborhood of about a Maybe a, a 24 to 16 yeah. type victory, 27 to 17. I think Clemson covers, Clemson wins, but it'll be a very physical battle at the line of scrimmage. I agree with that. I think it's going to be smash mouth in the early part as the teams feel each other out and get to know each other in that ballgame. Clemson won last year in uh, Auburn 19-13. to They're very physical matchup. Deshaun Watson and that offense struggled in the first half and that's when Auburn played solid man-to-man coverage. Now, with not a lot of off-season practice in, in that first game of the year, we're going to see. I think the, the matchup that you want to see is can Kelly Bryant start fast and build confidence. The one thing I looked at when I looked at Clemson's offense last week they distributed the football to a lot of playmakers on the outside a lot of wide receivers caught passes last week which is a benefit as you enter a big battle uh, with huge proportions here and 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 what happens if Kelly Bryant is confident after this week I I mean I, I I think when you look at the dynamic of the ACC, how quickly it changed after week one, Florida State was the team to beat. Florida State was trendy for, for winning the conference this year. They lose the opener. They lose their star quarterback in DeAndre Francois. And at the same time, Kelly Bryant looks like he's developing into this savvy veteran who could lead the Clemson offense. So in the blink of an eye, Florida State goes to really second, maybe drifting even further depending upon what James Blackman does as the new quarterback and Clemson once again the defending champs the team to beat and they have a chance to really build on that if Kelly Bryan is a star tonight or just plays well and Clemson beats Auburn we're talking about Clemson as a possible repeat national championship. Yeah, I picked them in my top four at the start of the year, so they're looking good now. I think a team that can benefit from Florida State's drop-off with DeAndre Francois is Lamar Jackson and Louisville now gaining a little momentum. How they play today later in Chapel Hill will dictate that. And then NC State, without that loss last week, but they still up there with the they solid quarterback. They got a lot of talent. And once they move through ACC play, we'll see. But that, that's where Florida State is right now. They're, they're they're spiraling, and Clemson yeah. is a team that could build a lot of momentum with the victory at home. When we come back, we'll be breaking down USC, Stanford, Georgia, Notre Dame. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi, Ritz Sermonello, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network from Studio 34. Hello. 
friends. If you want to win at Fantasy Sports, wouldn't you listen to people who have already won at Fantasy Sports? I'm here to tell you about DailyRoto.com. Don't be intimidated by the Draft Kings and FanDuel Sharks, even the Fantasy Draft Sharks. The guys at DailyRoto.com have not only won a million dollars amongst one of the writers, but they've created three others. That's four people who have won millionaire contests from this content alone. Don't be fooled by screenshots talking about $25,000 winners from other places. Go to DailyRoto.com where they have a proven track record of creating millionaires. DailyRoto.com. Tell them Greg Sussman sent you. Huge matchup taking place later tonight, 8.30 Eastern, Pac-12 battle. Stanford and David Shaw, fresh off their 62-7 win over Rice in Australia, taking on Sam Darnold and USC, struggled out of the gate week Mm -hmm. one against Western Michigan, but they did get the 49-31 victory at home in the Coliseum. Thanks in large part to Ronald Jones. I mean, you know, Sam Darnold, listen, I went back and watched a lot of that game. I, I don't think it was so much on Sam Darnold. Didn't have a great game. I understand that. But a lot of drop passes, poor protection up front. And that's my big concern heading into this game, Joe, is that, and and I said this throughout the offseason, love Sam Darnold. I think he'll be a legit top overall pick. I think he'll be a terrific NFL quarterback. I have no beef with him. But the supporting cast outside of that backfield, outside of Ronald Jones, outside of Sam Darnold, I don't like their line play. Not only were they inefficient on offense, but the defense allowed 263 yards on the ground to Western Michigan. So what is going to happen against Stanford, that big, physical, brutish offensive line, and Bryce Love, all of whom who have had two weeks to prepare for this matchup. So you know where I'm going with this. I didn't like USC in the offseason, and by God, I don't like them tonight against the Cardinal. How Do you see that? how patient I was? I, I bided my time. Now, granted... He's biting his lip through gra- as I'm talking. Granted, Stanford's won five of the last seven, and they've won those games by 8.8 points per game. Last USC victory came in 2014. They also won in 2013. Both of those victories came by a total of six points, three points per game. You're talking about Sam Darnold last week, 23 of 33, 289 yards through the air with two interceptions. But here's what I look at when I look at two factors. I look at Cam Smith didn't play in the first half of that matchup. USC did allow 263 rushing yards to Western Michigan. It's a wide open offense. This was a team that was 13-1 last year, went to the Cotton Bowl. Now you get a different type of offensive approach, a blue-collar physicality. They're going to run right between the tackles. This was a USC defense that held 6 of 13 opponents last year, Rich, under 100 yards rushing, and they were 6-0 in those ball games and won by 20.5 points per game. You mentioned Ronald Jones. They pounded the rock for 232 on the ground last week as well. Last year, they were 5-1 and one every time they rushed for over 200. They won those games by 24 points per game. I'm not sold on the physicality of Stanford overall. I think they were, I want to say, a, a glass house last year at 10-3. and three. I like USC in this matchup. This is my best play of wow. the day. You're USC. willing to lay the touch. See, I, I think Stanford wins outright. Oh. That's how sh- You look disgusted at me. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that is how much I like Stanford because, listen, I, I'm not buying Stanford yet as a mm-hmm. playoff contender, but when you start to compare the flash of USC versus the power of Stanford, 
I'm going to go with the power team. I think Stanford could dictate the tempo in this game, number one, with Bryce Love, who will outplay Ronald Jones. Keller Christ will not outplay Sam Darnold, but I like the fact that he's back on the field, Joe. He's healthy. He's a good game manager. They always have quality tight ends at Stanford, which they'll utilize. And here's the one thing which you and I kind of went head-to-head on when we did our Pac-12 preview. I really like, despite the numbers last year, I like the secondary of Stanford. I really like Quentin Meeks, Elijah Holder, Justin Reed, the safety. That is a next-level secondary for Sam Darnold to contend with. And not just Sam Darnold, but those receivers, Deontay Burnett and the rest, who were inconsistent last week. I think they struggle in the face of that Stanford secondary. Stanford will pound it over and over again. I think they dictate the tempo. I think they win it outright. I, I, I think the team that everyone was talking about in the offseason in the Pac-12, USC, is going to have a loss in Week 2. Well, I think that's the matchup. USC speed going up against the secondary. I'll say this about Stanford. They were 10-3 and last year in the first seven games of the year. They were 4-3 and overall. Those wins came against uh, uh, opponents with a combined overall record of 57-34. and The last six games, they were 6-0. and Those opponents were 27-46 and or a 369 winning percentage. So they struggled against the better teams on their schedule last year, even though they were 10 and three overall. Now that's the matchup. They rushed for 289 yards on the ground against Rice in Australia. Rice is not USC, mm-hmm. but still that's a solid effort. They were 7-0 and in 2016 every time they rushed for over 200, and they won those ball games by 17.7 points per game. But in their three losses, Rich, to Washington, Washington State, and Colorado, the offense failed to rush for over 100 yards in each of those games. I think that's the matchup, and USC, I think USC wins this ball game 17 points or more later today that is not going to happen i I, you have to look at the line of scrimmage joe i do offensive line of usc struggled last week i don't see a star on that o-line and with the exception of rasheem green who i like on the defensive line they're going to need support from Porter Justin and Cam Smith. I mean, those linebackers, Marvell Tell on the back end, the safety, those guys are going to have to help a defensive line that I think is marginal for, for Clancy Pendergast right now. This is an average defensive line. Stanford's offensive line, which committed all offseason to improving upon the way they played in 2016, they were averaged by their usual standard last year. They committed this offseason to be more physical, more assertive in order to spring Bryce Love. I think that's what happens tonight. I, I think I think Stanford controls the clock, plays keep away from Stan Darnold. Darnold will play well. I don't think it'll be enough. Stanford 27 to 24 over USC outright. So give me, I don't even want your seven points. You can keep them. Keep your seven points. Stanford outright tonight. I'll say this about the bye week. This has been said that Stanford has extra benefit because of the added preparation time. And yes, maybe in a game plan perspective. But I think the bye week could be a detriment for this team, especially in terms of offensive line continuity, quarterback to wide receiver relationship. It's not a bye week that's happening in week number seven too early, too or early. week yeah. number eight. It's like another week one game yeah. for Stanford. So from a game plan perspective, yes, I think David Shaw will have a solid game plan in place. But in terms of 
of the offensive line continuity for that offense, and more importantly, Keller Christ and, and the quarterback position, I think that's where some inconsistency can, can happen in this ballgame. And if San Darnold gets hot early and up-tempo attack and puts the pressure on Stanford's offense to match them score for score, I think the Cardinals are going to be in for a very long day later tonight. The key for me is going to be the pressure. Sam Darnold is a better athlete than people realize. I'm not going to suggest he's a dual threat or they're going to have designed runs for him, but when the pocket breaks down, he can make things happen with his feet, and I think that makes him doubly valuable compared to your standard pocket passer. The key for me is going to be that front seven of Stanford. Can they put pressure on Sam Darnold in a traditional fashion without having to blitz? Can you get it from an Eric Cotton off the edge? Can you get it from the interior, from a Harrison Phillips? You no longer have Solomon Thomas. So from a Stanford perspective, you need someone to step up in the front seven to pressure that pocket to put Sam Darnold in a position where he's throwing on the on his back foot. Well, I think you could look at the screen game in this ball game. I look for Ronald Jones in the t- short to intermediate passing game on screens to get those offensive linemen out in space. That could really wear down Stanford in this matchup as well. I mean, you, you, uh, Christian McCaffrey did it last year in Palo Alto. So the same type of game plan. The only problem for me is that when I, you look at Stanford, I'm not sold on Keller uh, Christ or Ryan Burns. This is an offense that only had two games last year where they passed for over 200 against Washington State, the blowout loss at home, and against Oregon. They threw for over 300 in their week one matchup over Rice. But if you watch that ballgame, I mean, Rice was severely overmatched in that ballgame in terms of a speed perspective. I think USC, I, I really feel this is a great spot for the uh, Trojans later today. We're going to be. Oh, I can't wait. We're going to be texting each other like crazy. Oh. It's going to be. It's going to be. It's going to be so ugly. Well, this is what it's all about. I mean, breaking it down. You you think it's a high scoring game though? Twenty seven twenty four is traditional. I mean, that's not high scoring. I mean, for I, what I, they've played, twenty seven yeah. ten last yeah, year. I, I mean, can see about a twenty seven twenty. Yeah, I game. think it'll be high scoring. I like the over in that ball game as well. I, I think Stanford is at a significant speed disadvantage, but we'll see how that game plays out at 8.30 later tonight. Game will be played in the Coliseum. I love this matchup. Georgia on the road with new quarterback Jacob Fromm headed into South Bend to take on Brandon Winbush and Brian Kelly. I mean, a dominant victory by Georgia last last week at home against Appalachian State, 31-10. to Fromm played well. He completed he 10 did. of 15 passes, 145 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. But you're talking about a Georgia offensive line that was allowed, able to rush for 221 yards on the ground last Georgia, week. Georgia surprised me. I, I liked App State, uh, to be completely honest. I thought App State would play a lot better against Georgia. Didn't happen. Love the Georgia defense. Kirby Smart with 10 starters back, a lot of speed on the edge. That's a concern of mine if I'm Notre Dame. And listen, Jake Fromm is not your typical true freshman. I mean, this is a kid who's very mature, very poised. I think if anyone in the true freshman class can step up in this situation and deliver, he might be that guy. But watching Notre Dame, I don't want to overstate the victory against Temple, although we both agree Temple's a well-coached team. They still have some residue from a championship team of last year. This looked like a different Notre Dame team to me. You know, with the addition of Chip Long, the offensive coordinator, Mike Elko, the defensive coordinator, the way they ran the ball last week, Wimbush looked good. I think this could be his national coming out party tonight. Joshua Adams on the ground. Dex Williams looked good on the ground. So that offense 
really looked like it began to kind of formulate an identity which didn't exist last year. So, Joe, we talked all offseason for Georgia and Notre Dame. This is pivot time. Where you go in 2017 hinges on what happens in South Bend tonight. So this is a very important game for both coaches and both programs. Something tells me we're going to be going up against each other in this ball game as well because I was very impressed with George's defense uh, last week against Taylor Lamb and Jalen Moore. They held uh, Jalen Moore to 136 rushing yards on the ground and that App State offense only 146 passing yards through the air. That could be the matchup that you want to see play out a little bit later today in South Bend. But when we come back we'll be breaking down Georgia and Notre Dame in a little bit more in depth. Keep it where is. This is Joe Lisi, Ritz Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Quarterback to receiver hookups, running back depth analysis, rookie values in dynasty leagues, deep sleepers, training camp battles. These are just a few of the in-depth features you will find inside the 2017 RotoExperts.com Exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package. Plus, you get a full year of in-season coverage as a bonus. Get the Exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package now at RotoExperts.com. Enter free radio at checkout for your special discount. matchup between number 15 Georgia and Notre Dame 7.30 Eastern Time tonight. Continuing the conversation, big battle. I think it really does come down to the athleticism of Georgia's defense though, Rich. I mean, the way, the way they can run sideline to sideline to contain Brandon Winbush. I mean, he rushed for over 100 yards last week, 185 passing yards through the air. For me though, it is that back end led by Dominic Sanders that I think they could force him to read coverage. And I think that's the mismatch that you want to see play out. I think Georgia dominates this ball game. Double digit victory. Kirby Smart and and the crew, Dominates. 31-17. Well, a couple of thoughts. Um, number one, I love games between traditional powers that we don't normally see. I mean, the only time these teams played, 1981, I mean, Joe Lisi was still wearing a members only and a headband at that particular time. That's how long ago it was. And so I, lo- I love being able, I, I think it's great for the sport. I think it's great for college fans to see Georgia against Notre Dame. Great for these Georgia kids to be out in South Bend, one of the cathedrals of college football. But I think it's asking a lot for Jake Fromm to go into this arena at night and beat Notre Dame. But I will say this. How about this for you to ponder on? If Fromm plays well and Georgia wins, is that the last we see of Jacob Eason as a starting quarterback in Athens? I mean, you might, you might as well likely. at that point. It, 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 would remind doubt, me, it would remind me of three years ago with Deshaun Watson at Clemson as a true freshman, right? Didn't start the season. Right. But once he was inserted into the lineup, you know, Dabo realized at that point he gives us a better chance of winning. And although Jake Fromm does not have the same physicality, doesn't have the same next-level arm talent, he's got that it factor. He's got something that really brings the rest of the team to rally behind him even as a young teenager. So that's going to be a fascinating storyline to watch. I just think, Joe, that you got the better offensive line at Notre Dame. Mike McGlinchey, Quentin Nelson, two terrific offensive linemen. And I think you'll see more balance 
out of the Notre Dame offense than what Georgia can provide with such a young quarterback. Well, that being said, I mean, the one thing that if you're a Notre Dame fan that you're happy about last week is that you got quarterback pressures. This was a team that only recorded 14 total sacks last year, ranked 118th nationally. They did have three sacks last week, so that's a a great sign for that Notre Dame defense overall heading into this matchup. I think when you look at the stats from last week, though, they held Temple to 85 rushing yards on the ground, but 245 through the air. And when you think about the speed of Georgia on the outside, even though they only passed for 145 yards last week, it's the speed factor of an SEC team that I think Georgia can attack that secondary. That'll take the pressure off the offensive line in terms of run blocking. And look for Sony Michelle to be utilized in this matchup. They utilized him in the Wildcat last week. He had 87. Seven rushing yards. Nick Chubb had 96. But look for Sony Michelle in the short to intermediate passing game to be mismatched on linebackers and nickelbacks. I think that's the difference in this ballgame. Does Mike Elko, the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame, does he stack the box to stop Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle? I mean, I, I think that just makes good common sense. If you're the defensive coordinator of Notre Dame and you have a raucous crowd at home, you're facing a true freshman quarterback has never started a game, has never played a game on the road at this level. I'm thinking you put your linebackers, you put uh, those safeties. I could see Drew Tranquil having a big game in the box to stop those running backs. To me, that makes the most sense. You know what? Georgia not only has the young quarterback, I still think, Joe, they have a shaky offensive line. They don't have any surefire number one wide receivers, so that passing attack would concern me. I'm forcing Jake Fromm to beat me if I'm Mike Elko. And you have to be aggressive in this ballgame. Third down conversions are going to be critical in this ballgame for Georgia. I mean, last week they struggled in third down conversions. They converted five of 14 attempts. On the flip side, they allowed App State to convert seven of 18 in terms of third down situations, even though it was in mop-up time. For Brandon Winbush, if he can maintain drives, that's the matchup that you want to see play out. I mean, can Notre Dame keep Jake Fromm and more importantly Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb on the sidelines in terms of cutting down possessions with a young quarterback. That'll be the matchup. But for me, I still like Kirby Smart in this spot. I mean, if there's one type of defensive mind that you want to have go up against a young quarterback, even though he's got himself a young quarterback, Brandon Winbush, he will force him to read coverage in this ball game. And when you have a veteran secondary, I think Georgia has the advantage there. No, no Malcolm Parrish. Right in the, in the Georgia secondary, that's a concern. But how much reading of coverage is he going to have to do? I mean, I, I think Notre Dame is going to be very, very particular in what it is they're doing, which is they're going to pound the ball. And they showed that last week with three 100-yard rushers against, again, I know it's maybe not quintessential Temple, but Temple is a tough program. Temple has always been, or at least recently, has been a very defensive-minded team. But they just pounded it with Joshua Adams. They pounded it with Dexter Williams. I like the way, you know, Brandon Wimbush is he's not a tall, statuesque quarterback. He's not an easy target. He looks more like a linebacker. So once he gets outside of the tackles he's tough to bring down so i don't know if he's going to be doing a ton of reading of coverages i think you're going to see more play action out of brandon wimbush and then he's going to be looking downfield for equinemius st brown and alizé mack 
who is a terrific tight end. Watch the tight ends in this game in general. Isaac Nauta on the Georgia side, but Alizé Mack, you've got some two young really good tight ends in this game. I think it's the defensive line play of Georgia. I think guys like Lorenzo Carter, the speed of Georgia from sideline to sideline, force Jared Grimbush out of the pocket on passing situations, make him roll out, make him look and short intermediate throws underneath coverage, quick throws, quick throws under pressure. I think that's the difference. And I think that's where this matchup will be won in this ballgame. And I really feel that Georgia holds a significant speed advantage but this is why they play the games. I mean, this is why we're breaking thing, it down right now. The one thing we could totally agree on is this is a fulcrum game for both of these programs. Without I, a doubt. I think you kind of go in one direction or the, or the other based on this game. I mean, if Georgia gets out of South Bend with a victory, that is a signature win in year two for Kirby Smart. I don't care that Notre Dame was 4-8 and eight last year. This is the Fighting Irish in South Bend, which is going to be a wild seen beneath touchdown Jesus. So if Kirby Smart can get out of there with a victory and be 2-0 and after, again, an impressive win over App State. I don't care that it's App State. That is the best team in the Sun Belt Conference. It I is. thought that would be a competitive game. If that's the case, all of a sudden you take a look and say this is the clear-cut favorite to win the SEC East. Well, this was an App State team that went into Knoxville last yes. year, lost that Should ball game 20-13. Yeah. I mean, so they were not afraid of playing an SEC team. I mean, this was a solid defense in 2016 as well. I mean, they only allowed 130 rushing yards on the ground to opposing offenses, and they held Josh Dobbs in that offense in check week number one, and to see Georgia pound it for 221 last week, I think that's a solid effort. I will say this about Notre Dame now. No home field advantage. We had Corey Miner on. We had Alan Pinkett on. They've said the luster is gone from South Bend. Now, I mean, last year they lost to Duke. They lost to Virginia Tech. They lost to Stanford all at home. If they lose this game in convincing fashion, like I think they will, I mean, we know that Brian Kelly's on the hot seat, but I mean, do they get rid of him before the season's over? No, I, I think I think he'll last till the end of the season regardless, but this hurts. I mean, Brian Kelly has to have this game. I mean, if you're if you're going to make Notre Dame relevant on a national level and you're at home in prime time against a Georgia team that's very good, but this is not an elite program just yet. This is not Alabama. This right. is not Ohio State. Notre Dame is favored in this game for a reason. And plus, ND, you're facing a true freshman 18-year-old quarterback. You have to win this game if you're Brian Kelly. I think Brian Kelly... He has a lot more pressure on him than Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart's playing with a little bit of house money. Doesn't have to win this game. I think Notre Dame gets out of here with a victory, about a touchdown, seven or eight point victory. I'm a little nervous about the, the front seven of Georgia because they're really good. And one kid in particular, Trenton Thompson, has been a locomotive since the end of last season. And he could disrupt running lanes. Absolutely. Obliterated TCU in the bowl game. Looked really good in week one. Six tackles, two behind the line of scrimmage, and a sack. So Trent Thompson in the middle of that defensive line. Him against Quinton Nelson, if you want to focus on one game within the game, that's going to be a fantastic You're matchup. starting to second-guess yourself. I'm second-guessing. No, I'm I, not going to second-guess. I'm sticking to my guns. When you're expected to win the SEC East, though, like Kirby Smart in year number two, this is a critical game. Even though yeah. you said he's playing with a little bit of house money, for me, I, and I'm a Georgia Bulldog fan, you know that Georgia faithful want to see Georgia step up on a national stage and dominate to get the momentum back and, and 
and to really build momentum heading into SEC play because if they lose this ball game, granted it's without Jacob Eason, but this is exactly the MO that their former coach Mark Rick built there in Athens. Ten and three, can't win the SEC East, yeah. can't get can't to get over a, the hump. Right. right. Uh, so there is pressure there for Kirby Smart in year number two, especially in this ball game. I think there is, but I think there's a little bit of a I, I I don't want to say excuse, but he's using a rookie quarterback. He's on the road. So was Notre Dame using? Yeah, that's true. He is a rookie quarterback, but he's but he's a junior. I mean, he's he's been on campus. This is his third year on campus. A little bit different, right? But I agree with you in terms of experience. Brandon Wimbush has what like an extra game over Jake right. Fromm. So that's a fair point. That to me is what is so just. I mean, delicious about this matchup, young quarterbacks, because by next year, we could be looking at Jake Fromm, Brandon Wimbush as the elite quarterbacks in college football. That potential is there. So there is so much at stake in this game. Love the battle at, you know, at the line of scrimmage. Balance of Notre Dame. I think you'll get more from the passing game out of Wimbush than you will from Fromm. So Notre Dame holds serve at home, wins this game, and and quiets the uh, Bulldog faithful. Well, if they do win this game, I have to bring up the question, has the SEC lost its luster then when you look at Tennessee's struggle, when you look at Texas A&M blow that They lost their luster big? a couple of years ago. Well, I'm just saying, yeah. though, from top, to, against from, Michigan. From yeah. top to bottom, this is what it's all about. When we come back, we'll be talking TCU Arkansas. We're just getting started. This is Joe Lisi, Ritz Sermonello live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Quarterback to receiver hookups, running back depth analysis, rookie values in dynasty leagues, deep sleepers, training camp battles. These are just a few of the in-depth features you will find inside the 2017 RotoExperts.com Exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package. And it's power-packed with so much more, including fully sortable player projections and a custom cheat sheet generator. Plus, you get a full year of in-season coverage as a bonus. Get the Exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package now at RotoExperts.com. Enter free radio at checkout for your special discount. Finishing up the conversation between Georgia and Notre Dame. I love Georgia later today. I think they get a convincing double-digit victory, 31-17 to over the Fighting Irish later today. Would be huge if that's true. I don't think it happens. <laughs> I, I agree with the 31, but I'm going to go 31-24. Notre Dame barely covers. I'll be honest. I, I'm not in love with this game. I like the Georgia team, so I'm a little nervous that Joe Lisi is going to be burning up my phone tonight, especially as a as a Georgia Bulldog fan. So I I, I think the story winds up being Brand Jake Fromm plays well, Brandon Wimbush plays better, and by the end of the night, fringe Heisman contender. Wow, we'll see what happens a little bit later. That's a seven thirty kick in South Bend. Here's a game I love. It's a rematch of last year. TCU on the road in Fayetteville to take on Brett Bielma and the boys. Arkansas won this ball game 41 to 38 last year rich in convincing fashion a fourth quarter comeback a comeback by Austin Allen but they wore down TCU in the fourth quarter to get that win I love 
Arkansas later today. Sue Piggy. <laughs> you know what? I'm thinking about, you know, Joe oh. circa 19, maybe 82, just loving the Southwest <laughs> Conference. Were you That's a, it. You Queen were a Southwest Grovey. Conference. Queen Grovey, <laughs> Barry Foster, yeah. Billy Ray Smith. Billy Ray was exactly where I was going to go. Former San Diego Charger and Arkansas Razorback. Exactly. I love this game, too. And I, and I think it, it has the potential to be every bit as entertaining as it was last year. You've got two veteran quarterbacks, Kenny, Kenny Hill on the TCU side. Austin Allen, who I really like, good veteran, gritty quarterback on the Arkansas side. Arkansas can run the ball. Always will run the ball with Brett, uh, Brett Bielema. you got a couple of kids in Devois Whaley. Right. Chase Hayden, I thought, ran really yeah, well. Did. The young kid last week, kind of a change of pace. But the difference for me, and, and we're going to just lock horns like a couple of Rams every game here because I really like TCU. And the reason why is better defensive talent. I don't like this defense of Arkansas. Hate the secondary. Gave up a ton of yards last year. No Ryan Pulley, their best defensive back, playing in this game. So TCU, yes, it was against Jackson State, so I'm not going to overstate it. But I watched that game last week, 15 tackles for loss, showed a lot of aggressiveness at the line of scrimmage, a lot of speed. We talked about lateral speed in this game with with USC and other defenses. TCU with Gary Patterson at the helm has excellent safeties. They're quality linebackers. They moved up Traven Howard to the defensive end position. I like this defense. Don't like the defense of Arkansas. Well, I don't like TCU. I mean, they were 6-7 and seven last year, Rich. I mean, those six wins came against opponents with a combined overall record of 23-39. and 39. Their seven losses came against opponents with a combined overall record of 60-30. and 30. This is a team that was 1-5 at home last year and lost those games by 12.2 points per game. And, oh, by the way, one of the worst statistical defenses under Gary Patterson last year, they allowed 187 rushing yards on the ground to opposing offenses. In 2015, it was 182. In comparison to 2014, when they had Trevon Boykin and they were ranked number three in the country, that defensive front seven only allowed 120 yards per game on the ground. I think that's the matchup that you see play out this this week in Fayetteville. I mean, you look at Arkansas, they rushed for 236 yards last week in the win over Florida A. And M since 2016, Arkansas six and zero from last year. Every time they rush for over 200, and they've won those games against four FBS opponents by 20 points per game. I think that's the matchup you see play out, and I think Arkansas gets a double digit victory later today. You mentioned you mentioned six and seven TCU last year. That's why I love them because what does <laughs> Gary Patterson do after a bad season? He rebounds. Every single time TCU has struggled uh, under his watch, they've bounced back with a great season, and it'll begin today against uh, Arkansas. Wow, we're bucking heads on every game. This is why you have to watch us for the next two and a half hours. When we come back, we'll be breaking down the other games a little bit later today. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network.